And this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so once you guys are there, I'm actually going to go ahead and read the passage. Luke 25 uh, through 37. 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, uh, and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. In the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whenever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Pastor Rick, would I invite you up to please uh, preach our message today? Thank you. Thank you, Sheila. I appreciate that. Almost, Andrew. I almost had it. Thanks for the help. Appreciate that. Thank you, Sheila. Appreciate your words this morning. Your prayer um, is much appreciated. I do pray uh, anything I say is not really that important. We pray that whatever is said will come from the Lord to your hearts and that God will speak to us from his word this morning. If uh, I haven't had a chance to meet you and many of you, I probably have not because it has been a while since we did this. And what this is, is switching locations. So Pastor Brian, who's usually here with you, is over preaching in Burlington this morning. At least I trust that he is. Um, If you really want to hear him, there's a 1045 service. If you're quick, you can go there now and get there and hear him. I am usually uh, speaking over at our Burlington location. My name's Rick. I'm one of the pastors there. And uh, before the pandemic, we used to switch about every, well, we tried for every six weeks. It never hit that. But that was our goal about every six to eight weeks to kind of switch locations. It's one way just to kind of keep unity. At Mount Hope, we are one church in two locations. And so we try and keep unity among the body. And one of the ways we do that is uh, not by making you switch. You get to stay where you are, but we get to switch every now and then. And I do consider it a privilege, Wendy and I, to be able to be here with you this morning, uh, to see so many new faces 
And uh, just to hear, we do hear every week in our staff meeting all that the Lord is doing throughout Mount Hope. And uh, we get to share some of those stories, Andrew and Pastor Brian and Ting bring to our team some of the stories of what the Lord is doing right here in Belmont. And so we rejoice with you with the great work that is going on. And I thank you for, uh, thank Nick. I know he had to run. He went back to Burlington to share his global spotlight again there. Um, but it is wonderful to hear what's going on with Chi Alpha, Gene and Lynn, and on all the Boston campuses. Um, we pray that God continues to equip you and strengthen you all for the work that he's called you to. We are in Luke chapter 10 this morning. We are starting a new series. Uh, if you hadn't noticed, last week we finished up our I Follow Jesus series, which was really a series on the Holy Spirit uh, that we got to do for six weeks, which I was really blessed by. I hope it encouraged you uh, as well. And last week's message, especially on our need for being filled with the Spirit. Uh, this week, we're starting a new series going through the parables. Some of the parables in Luke will be in here for... Some time. I don't know. We're going we're gonna to start here. We're going to be in here at least six weeks or so. We've laid out a, several parables um, that we want to look at in Luke that I think are going to be a blessing to you. And this morning, we're starting with the Good Samaritan, which is in Luke chapter 10, which was surprisingly challenging to prepare a message for. Uh, I told Pastor Brian, I feel like this should be, you know, preacher 101 to preach on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, but because many of you may be already familiar with it, because it's uh, so familiar in our world at times, even the expression, the Good Samaritan, I think it makes it sometimes a little more challenging to speak on. And yet I believe the Lord has something for us this morning. So let's dive in. Uh, uh, several weeks ago, I guess it's probably a couple months ago uh, at this point, I started a project around the house of replacing our back deck. Uh, when we moved into the house six years ago, the deck needed to be replaced. And six years later, I'm finally getting to it because I got tired of splinters and worrying if kids were going to fall through the hole in the deck. Uh, it was literally that bad. I would cover it up. I would put the table. Some of you may have done this. Like you position the table over the hole so that, you know, no one walks there. But I'm finally getting to the point where I said, you know, this is the year. We're going to replace the deck and the decking. And I attempted it. I've attempted it. I've started it. I'm working on it. I'm still working on it. I've taken on a project that may be a little bit more than I can handle. Don't tell Wendy that. She still thinks I can do it. And we're going for it. But sometimes you get into something and you realize you need help, right? And I hit that moment uh, a few weeks ago where I was just looking at this, looking out the back window once again at a deckless deck. And thinking, I, this is so discouraging. Like, I need some help. I don't know what you do in that moment, but I started scrolling through my text messages. Like, who can I text to help? And you start scrolling through the names, and I'm like, ah, no, I didn't really help them when they needed help. Or they, I don't know if I could really ask them. And, you know, you go through, you're playing these games and looking through the, pe the people, and you're like, I'm not sure they would ask me. I don't know if I could ask them. Finally, I hit a name of a friend of mine that I thought, yeah, I can ask him. And it was like seven in the morning and it was that, and I just thought, you know, he's the kind of friend you can kind of text and be like, hey, what are the chances you are doing absolutely nothing this afternoon and are looking for the opportunity just to, you know, help someone with their deck? And this is a Friday morning, so it's a work day, but I know he's got like a flexible schedule and... 
And uh, so he texts me right back. He's like, I was absolutely just sitting here thinking I have nothing to do this afternoon. And I would like to help someone with their deck. And, uh, and he showed up at noon and you should have friends like that. And it was encouraging because we made some progress and it's good to have people like that in your life. But I bring that up because of this, because oftentimes it's hard to be on the side when we're needing of help in people's lives. I, I have conversations as a pastor with people all the time who tell me I'm usually the one that gives the help. I'm never on the one that asks for that. I don't know how to ask for help. I don't know how to receive help. That's hard for us sometimes. I think when we are the ones who need help, even if we ask, don't ask for it or whether we ask for it, we are in a situation that often may be vulnerable for us physically, emotionally, at a place of vulnerability. Uh, and we know that we need some help from people. But to tell the truth, when we're in the other side of the equation and we are the ones that have the ability to offer help, you may not be physically and emotionally vulnerable, but I would argue that you are more morally and spiritually vulnerable in the place when you are the one who has, are in the position to offer help. We come to this parable this morning, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and it's a parable about neighboring. Uh, my friend Greg Detweiler, and I don't see Greg here this morning. He's, usually, he's often here in Belmont, but sometimes he's ministering elsewhere. My friend Greg, when we look at this passage, um, helped me see it at one point from another perspective. He said, because many times when he talks to people in his work with people, especially from a third world context, and they come to the parable of the Good Samaritan, that they look at it very differently often than first world uh, Christians sometimes look at it. In that they hear the parable of the Good Samaritan and they don't automatically put themselves in the position of the lawyer or the Samaritan in a position to offer help. They often read it from the perspective of seeing themselves on the person on the side of the road who's been beaten and robbed and is in need of help. And, and I, I think that was really helpful for me to understand and see that different people see this parable in different ways. So I don't want to assume from what Sheila read this morning that you are seeing it the way I'm seeing it. So let me just take a moment to ask that we could shift our focus. I want to ask you this morning to shift a little bit to the place of the person that is able to offer help to someone else. Because I think no matter where we are in life, there's going to be times where you and I will always be able to offer to someone else something we have that they may need and that would be helpful to them. So I'm asking that this morning we see the parable from that perspective and you put yourself in the place of someone who is able to offer help to someone else. And when we are in that position, I think we are sometimes more morally and spiritually vulnerable than we may realize. In this interaction, Jesus encounters someone who has the ability to help. But the question is, will he help? Will he help? He encounters a lawyer and the lawyer asks him a question about um, what I need to do to inherit eternal life. Jesus kind of picks up on the fact that he's playing some verbal games and testing him, as the scripture says. So he basically says, why don't you answer it? 
You answer your own question. You know the answer to the question. You're a lawyer. And he answers the question. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, that's it. That's true. Go do that, and you'll live. The lawyer at this point, probably a little embarrassed, and probably an effort to save dignity a bit, the word says to justify himself, but this probably means to save a little face. He follows up with what he thinks is, a, is an astute question that'll uh, enter this verbal jarring with Jesus. And he says, well, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And by asking who is my neighbor, asking who is my neighbor is a revealing question, isn't it? When you ask who is my neighbor, it reveals really more about you than it does about who my neighbor really is. When we ask who is my neighbor, we are by extension asking, who is not my neighbor? Who is not my neighbor? We are asking who I am responsible to love, but we are also asking who don't I have to love? My heart is revealed to show I'm not really interested in helping people as much as I'm interested in knowing what I need to do as a minimum to receive God's grace. It's a means to an end, a box to check, an obligation to fulfill, all of which are in contrast to the command to love your neighbor. Asking who is my neighbor is asking for a list. All right, who's the list? Give me the list. Tell me who I need to love. Let me figure out who I don't need to love. I'll check the boxes on the love side and we'll be good. It's really asking who is not my neighbor. Who do I have permission to not love, to not show care for? Do you keep such a list? Wonder if sometimes we keep those lists in our lives. It's really not hard to keep such a list. We start doing it when we're really young. I mean, when we're kids, we know who's nice to us and then who we're going to be nice to. We know who's, we, we kind of start categorizing people. Who helps us and who will offer help? Do we carry it right through school? You get into high school, you know the groups. You know who falls in your group and who's outside your group and which one you're going to be quick to help and which one you're not going to be quick to offer help to. It continues on if we're not careful right through the rest of our life. You know, the people who are in your group in the last couple of years, maybe it's been cemented in our, in our society and in our lives more than ever before of who's in our group and who's outside our group. And if you go and help someone outside our group, then you're not really part of our group. We start these categories. Who's my neighbor? We're really asking who's not my neighbor. It's a revealing question. It reveals our own heart. It causes us to think and consider what's in my heart. A couple weeks ago, Wendy and I were uh, visiting, uh, went away for the weekend, and just two of us, and we were out in Portland, Maine. You know, I hadn't been to really Portland before, and we try and visit some places around New England at times when we have a time to get away that we haven't seen before. So we went to Portland, Maine. 
And as we went there, we had a great time. And one day, uh, it was Sunday actually, Sunday Memorial Day weekend, we're coming back from the Portland Museum of Art that we had just visited and we're walking back to our hotel. And on the corner, coming back, I see a group of people. I see love dancing in Portland. I don't know if you've ever seen love dancing in Portland, but I saw love dancing in Portland. Here's the scene. There were maybe seven or eight people. They all had signs or what looked like giant conversation hearts that had words on them. Uh, Words like love or kindness other ones that I honestly didn't take the time to read. And it was love on display and love dancing, and there was loud Bob Dylan music playing from a small radio beside them, and they were an eclectic group, ranging in age and dress, and they were dancing and singing. And and honestly, uh, what I did was walk on the other side of the street, walk back to my hotel, I didn't know what to make of love dancing in Portland. But later on reflecting upon it, not knowing what this group is, who they were, or honestly what they were attempting to accomplish in that moment, I realized that that revealed something more about my heart than about people dancing with signs of love in Portland. I didn't immediately, I wasn't immediately curious I didn't immediately sense a sense of love for them or what they were doing. My immediate thought was to put them in a category in my mind, to judge them as maybe doing something unhelpful or something that I am confusing. I don't know, but it revealed something in my heart. And I started to think that maybe the reason love was dancing in Portland that day was just so God could show me things in my heart that he needs to deal with still. It's revealing. We ask a question like, who is my neighbor? It reveals a part of my heart that doesn't want some people to be my neighbor, that maybe wants to have permission from God himself not to show love to some people. This is the question of the lawyer in this moment. But we're asking the question, who is my neighbor, reveals our heart. If we move to the next point, loving your neighbor is very different than loving the idea of loving your neighbor. I think this is important for us to understand too. The priest and the Levite in our story, the parable that Jesus told, understood the law to love God and to love their neighbor as themselves, and yet Jesus said in his story, they passed on the other side. It wasn't that they didn't know they were supposed to love their neighbor. They knew. They knew the law as well as anybody. They're a priest, they're religious leaders. And yet they passed on the other side. There will always be reasons not to show love we can come up with and hide behind them. There will always be reasons. The priest and the Levite were no doubt busy people on their way someplace. And to stop and help would take time and take them off course and off schedule. Helping might also put them in personal danger. Who knew if the robbers were still nearby? 
Or it could just be a ruse, and this guy's in on it, and you stop and help, and they're just waiting to ambush you. They didn't know. There were also risks to them in their work because as a priest, if this is a dead body and he touched it or was a part of it, it would render him ceremonially unclean and he couldn't go and serve at the temple. There were risks for them to stop. There will always be reasons not to show love. And sometimes we, I think, get, fall more in love with our idea of loving our neighbor and we are actually committed to loving our neighbors. That sometimes we hide behind things in our own lives. I mean, do we do that? We hide behind the busyness of our schedules, the safety of our personal safety, reasons not to help people. Do we hide behind our own thoughts and laws? Well, you know, I heard if I just give this guy cash, he's just going to go buy alcohol with it. So I'm helping by not helping in this situation. Okay, well, that's something to consider. That's something real to consider. But then beyond that, now that I've learned about someone in need or something in need in our community, do I do anything more beyond helping by not helping? There's always going to be reasons for us to hide behind things. And yet Jesus calls us to love our neighbor. Are there places in your life and my life that we care more about being right than doing what is right? I think sometimes when we love the idea of loving our neighbor more than loving our neighbor, it may be that we kind of are really concerned about being right on this issue or that issue, but we lose the passion of doing right in our situations. We often think the church, I think, has the idea of loving our neighbor down, but maybe we can learn something from other people. Um, I think the religious leaders probably thought in this case that they knew what it is to love neighbors. Certainly the lawyer did, and he wasn't going to learn anything from a Samaritan about it. I uh, heard a story recently from a pastor, Gordon McDonald, who Gordon used to pastor Grace Chapel in Lexington for many years. And uh, he's since in his latter years become kind of a pastor to pastors. And I heard him speak recently of a time in his life um, as he continues to learn what it is to be the church and be the body of Christ. Gordon talked about a time recently uh, up in New Hampshire where he now lives, where he heard, he, he got talking to some of his friends who were in AA. And as he heard his friends more and more talk about what it was to be a part of an AA group, Alcoholics Anonymous, he thought that sounds a little bit like what the church is supposed to be more like. So he asked his, these people, he said, do you think they'd mind if I showed up to a meeting sometime? And he said, you know, some of his friends said, sure, you know, I don't think that would be a problem. So he, he looked through, he lives in New Hampshire, Concord, New Hampshire. He looked through some of the groups that are listed online and he found one that said an open group and guests are welcome. And so Gordon shows up at 6.30 on a Monday morning in the basement of an Episcopal church to an AA group. And he tells them, you know, he sits down and he kind of tells them, hey, this is who I am and would you guys mind if I just sat in on the group and listened to you guys and 
was here with you guys. And they said, sure, you know, we'd, we'd love that, you know. Guests are welcome and, and, and that'd be fine. Then he said this, he said, uh, he said, I wasn't there very long before four different guys came up to me on their own and individually and handed me a, their business card. And they said, this is my personal number. If you ever need anything, anytime, any help, day or night, call that number. I'll be on your front porch in 15 minutes. Gordon thought, you know, he had four different guys do that for him and he left those meetings and he thought, I've been in the church a lot of years and I've never had that experience. Someone coming up and treating me that way. And he kept going to meetings for a number of months and he realized that we could probably learn a lot about loving our neighbor from groups like that and situations like that. And the church, just because we teach about loving our neighbor, just because we preach about it, just because we might up here on a Sunday morning pray about we're to do the first commandment, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're to do the second commandment, to love our neighbor as ourselves, doesn't actually mean we're doing it. In fact, the priest and the Levite probably very, very well have recited those commands that morning and that evening in their prayers. And yet in the middle of their day, they pass by someone in need. A third and final point is this, that a neighbor is one who acts neighborly. I think that's ultimately what Jesus is saying. The question the lawyer asks is, who is my neighbor? Do you notice Jesus really doesn't answer the question? He doesn't really answer the question, who is my neighbor? In fact, Jesus, at the end of telling this story of a priest that walked by and a Levite that also didn't have time or willingness to help, and a Samaritan that finally helped, he follows up with this question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor? Not who is my neighbor, but what does it look like to act neighborly? What does it look like to be a neighbor? The difference between who is my neighbor and which one of these proved to be a neighbor is the difference between helping someone in need and being willing to help anyone in need. I think lots of us are certainly and do certainly help someone in need. Why wouldn't we? But Jesus isn't talking about whether you're willing to help someone in need. The difference is, are you willing to help anyone? in need who might be in front of you. Don't hear what I'm not saying. You can't help everyone. But are you willing to help anyone? Or are there people on different lists in your mind that you say, I hope that person's not my neighbor. I hope that one's not on God. God certainly can't expect me to love that person. A neighbor is one who acts neighborly. Honestly, this story isn't much of a story if the Samaritan is not introduced and made the hero by Jesus. Without the Samaritan, it's just Jesus saying, you should not be too good or too busy to help someone in need. 
But once Jesus makes a Samaritan the hero of the story, it changes things. This lawyer was a a Jewish person who their relationship with the Samaritans was, to say the least, difficult, hostile. The Samaritans uh, were people who were of Jewish descent, but they intermarried with the Babylonians when they took over their area, their country. And so they were considered by the Jews to be impure racially, to be compromisers morally, and to be blasphemers religiously because they worshiped at a different place in a different way. And so when Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of the story, it's a problem for this lawyer. Notice Jesus didn't say, go help Samaritans. That might have even been a little easier. What Jesus said was that this person that you think is backward, uneducated, immoral, unprincipled, undisciplined, and a compromiser is someone you should follow their example when it comes to loving their neighbor. The point is, Jesus is saying, stop your lawyerly high academic questions. Stop making your lists, your excuses. Come down the mountain, get off your moral high horse, and start acting neighborly. That's Jesus' challenge to him. It's not really a list of who's your neighbor. It's a heart challenge of will you act neighborly to the people around you. I think us in the church, Jesus calls us not so much to figure out who our neighbor is, but to ask, will we act neighborly to the people around us? I'm going to ask our worship team to make their way back as we begin to close up and respond here to God's word. I, um, I learned a little bit what it was to be a neighbor from a neighbor of mine when I was living in Lowell. Wendy and I lived in Lowell for 13 years, and one of the guys, one of the houses we lived beside, and a guy, his wife and his family that lived there, his name was Scott. And uh, I thought when we moved in, maybe like you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you moved in, and I prayed, Lord, help me to show Jesus to my neighbors. Help me to be a light to this dark community that might need your light. Move us into a place where we can be a blessing and a light to the places around us, the people around us. Scott, next door, I don't think he was a confessing Christian to my knowledge. Never let me know he was. But Scott was the kind of guy you want as your neighbor. One Father's Day, we were pulling out of the driveway to head out to a cookout. And immediately we were just getting ready to leave and I hear this giant crash. I don't know what it is. Look outside and one of my trees from my yard has fallen on top of Scott's Jeep Grand Cherokee that was parked out on the street. Scott wasn't in it, thank God. Before I can even get out there, I hear a chainsaw. Scott's out there with his chainsaw because the tree was blocking the street, cutting up the tree and cutting it up into pieces, moving it off to the side, pulling it off his Jeep. I go out and I try and help as much as I can, but I doubt that I was much help. And I apologize profusely and I'm trying to figure out what to do. And he says, no, no, he says, I'm all set. Go ahead, you guys were heading out. Go ahead, head out, I'll take care of this. 
course, came back. In the coming days, I said, you know, let us pay for this. He said, no, no, insurance has got, well, let us at least pay for your deductible. No, don't even think about it. It's all set. Scott's the kind of guy you want as your neighbor. Other times he would come and he'd sit with the kids in our house because I had to run out and something unexpected or every snowstorm because I only had a shovel and Scott had a snowblower. He'd come and get the bottom of my driveway, you know, that heaviest, heaviest snow right at the bottom. And he'd work as he, he and his boys would work his way up from the bottom of my driveway to the top and, and take care of it, especially on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings when I had to head out to church. He invited me to join his golf league with him. I went out every week and I would golf with him. Scott's the kind of guy you want as your neighbor. I thought I was going to teach Scott about a little something about what it meant to follow Jesus. Turns out Scott taught me a lot about what it means to be a neighbor. It's not so much who is my neighbor, but it's really about will I act neighborly to the people around me who are in need. If I leave it at that, it's just a good moral lesson for you to take with you today. But we can't leave it at that. Not as Jesus followers. Because you have to ask why. Why should we do this? Why should we live our lives in this way? How do we live our lives in this way? It's because really, I think a lot of people that hear this story in a different way than some of us maybe in the first world that grew up in the first world and majority culture might hear it might be hearing this story more correctly. We are the ones on the side of the road. We are the ones who have been beaten and stripped and left without hope and in need of help. And Jesus being pure and holy and God himself had every right to pass by on the other side of the road. Had every right not to dirty himself or bother himself with our condition. Had every right to pass by this planet <laughs> and not offer any help for our situation. But he stopped. He stopped to show mercy to us, to show love to us, to neighbor us in the best way possible. In fact, I love the way Eugene Peterson translates John chapter one that says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson translates it. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. God became our neighbors and he helped us in our time of need, offered us himself forgiveness and love and ultimately mercy. If you go back and you read it, Jesus asks, which was the one who was the neighbor? The response wasn't the Samaritan. I don't even think he could bring himself to say the word. But he said, the one who showed mercy. That's really what being a neighbor is. When you have the willingness and ability to help, will you show mercy? Not because you're good, not because you're so great or I'm so great, not because you're strong enough, but ultimately because you have been shown mercy 
by God himself. Because you have been shown grace and mercy from the God of the universe that didn't have to show it. May this encourage us to go and show mercy to others. Would you stand? Pray with me. Father, we come before you today. And Lord, we, God, the more I look at this parable and maybe the more us as a group look at this parable today, the more I realize how far I fall short. The more I realize how many times I fail to be a neighbor and to act neighborly towards those around. Lord, I pray that you would show us and remind us how good you've been to us, that mercy triumphed over judgment, that you have been abundantly merciful to us. Lord, remind us and show us how much you've loved us, how much you've forgiven, how much you have stopped to help us along the side of the road, how much we think we have accomplished in our own strength and our own ability, and yet it's only been by your grace and your mercy that we have received goodness in any part of this life. And Lord, when we see that and when we understand it, may we be overwhelmed, filled with your love and filled with your spirit. And may we be a church that shows mercy and shows love to those around us. Lord, lead us in response in our own hearts, even as we sing this song. Show us the places where we have jumped to making lists and exclusion rather than inclusion and showing love. Lead us now as we sing and as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen.